When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everyone. This is Scott. If you're a fan of the ancient world, please support the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the ancient world. And remember to like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash ancient world podcast. Thanks again for listening. I am Azatiwadas, the sun god's man, servant of Tarhunzas, whom Awariku, king of Adanawa, made great. Tarhunzas made me mother and father to Adanawa, and I caused Adanawa to prosper. I extended the plain of Adanawa on the one hand toward the west and on the other hand toward the east. And in my days, Adanawa had all good things, plentiness, and luxury. I filled the Paharian granaries, and I made horse upon horse, and I made army upon army, and I made shield upon shield, all with the help of Tarhunzas and the gods. It is left to me to tell the tale of the evils that plagued Adanawa, the land that the men of Asur call Quay of the fall of my own lord, Awariku, and of the men of Hatti, and of Aram, and of the men of Asur as well. So, in sight of Tarhunzas and the gods, sit with me upon the ground as I tell sad stories of the death of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war, some haunted by the Itimu of those they have deposed, some taking poison, all murdered. I begin in the seventh year of Sargon, great king, strong king, king of the world, king of Assyria, king of the four corners of the earth. In the days of my lord Awariku of Quay, the king of Assyria was our father and mother, and Quay and Asur made one house, and my lord was ever faithful to king Sargon. Adana and Kalhu are far apart, but the men of Asur were always close, and they rendered help to us in time of need. In that year, two evils came to our land. The first was Midas, king of the land Phrygia, whose armies were vast and I was hungry, and who took from us our fortresses of Harua, Ushnanis, and Kumasi. 
At the same time, our coast was plagued by savage Ionians, whose abode is situated in the middle of the sea, and who, from the distant past, have killed the people of the land of Quay. King Sargon heard the pleas of my lord Awariku, and he himself went down to the sea in ships against them and struck them down with the sword, both young and old. In the same year, the king brought about the defeat of Midas, king of the land Phrygia, in his own wide district, and restored to their former status the fortresses of our land that had been taken by force. I cannot speak of things in the east. The Zagros Mountains are far from Quay, and no Urartian had come to our land since the days of Tiglath-Pileser. I only know what everyone knows. In his eighth year on the throne, King Sargon defeated the countless troops of Rusa the Urartian, ruined his land, and caused the deceiver to take his own life. In those same years, the city Musasir, abode of the god Haldi, also fell to Sargon. Even as he tamed the Zagros, King Sargon's mind was vexed by news from the northern Hatti lands of Tabal. These are the lands that stretch from the borders of Quay to the Hollis River, and where Midas, king of the land Phrygia, constantly looks for advantage. Early in his own reign, King Sargon had caused Huli of Tabal, a king removed by Shalmaneser, to sit again at his throne. He had also expanded the kingdom's territory by giving Huli the pirate land of Hilaku. In Sargon's ninth year, Tabal was ruled by Huli's son, Ambaris, who had grown to manhood in Kalhu and to whom King Sargon had given one of his own daughters as a wife. Ambaris's house was blessed by fate, but it was also proud. The heart of Ambaris spurned Sargon's gifts and turned to foreign lands. He had sent to Rusa, king of the land Urartu, Midas, king of the land Phrygia, and the lesser kings of the land Tabal, letters where he spoke his wish to take away territory from Assyria. Driven to anger, King Sargon mustered the troops of the god Asur and overwhelmed the land Tabal to its full extent, as if with a net. He brought into bondage to Assyria Ambaris, together with the other offspring of his father's house, the nobles of his land, and one hundred of his chariots. King Sargon made the lands of Tabal and Hilaku dwell as safely as in a meadow, and had enclosure walls built around them. And he resettled their people from the other lands that the god Asur, the great lord, had conquered. The gods are just, and Ambaris's punishment fit his crime. But the gods are also sometimes cruel for reasons we cannot know. Because, as King Sargon took Tabal and Helaku, his royal officials also came to the palace of my lord, Awariku. The news they brought was a thunderbolt. Awariku was to relinquish his throne to the hands of Sargon's man, Asur Sharu Usur, who would rule the land of Quay in Sargon's name. 
My Lord had ruled for 37 years, but even before a heartbeat passed, he did as Sargon commanded. And so his wealth, the wealth of our land, passed into the hands of Asur. My Lord Awariku remained in Adana bereft of royal power. And over time, his heart began to sour against King Sargon. That same year, Bar-Rakib the Aramean, king of Samal, had passed away. And King Sargon took away his land and made it part of Assyria. In the northern Hatti land of Tuwana that borders on our land of Quay, Warpalawa had set his throne for as long as my lord Awariku perhaps even longer. King Sargon commanded Warpalawa give his land to Assyria. Warpalawa complied and, like my lord, remained behind in Tuwana bereft of power, until his aged heart, like all men's, turned to dust. Of the Hatti kings to the east of Quay, only three remained, those of Gurgum, Kuma, and Malachia. And the next year, it was the lord of Malachia who raised his hand and voice against the king. In King Sargon's early days, he had swept into Hatti and Aram like a storm and punished those whose hearts were filled with treason. At the time, he had driven the deceitful Gunzianu from the throne of Malachia and replaced him with Tarhunazi, the storm god's man. But in his tenth year, King Sargon learned that Tarhunazi had repeatedly sent to Midas, king of the land Phrygia, messages hostile to Assyria. Driven to anger, King Sargon conquered the land of Malachia to its full extent. He smashed its royal city like a pot and considered all the people of Tarhunazi as if they were flocks of sheep and goats. He threw into iron fetters Tarhunazi together with his fighting men and took his family and 5,000 of his captured warriors off to his city of Asur. Once the deceiver was deposed, King Sargon assigned the people of Malachia, those from before and others brought from across his lands, to the authority of his eunuch. Wary of further evil plots, Sargon erected ten strong fortresses around the land Malachia, strengthened the garrisons of other cities against the land of Urartu, and built new cities on the border of the land of Phrygia. King Sargon then gave Tarhunazi's royal city of Malachia, along with its environs, to his man, Muatali the Hittite of the land Kuma. There is no greater crime than the killing of a father by a son, and any who do so are cursed before the gods. The year after Malachia was made firm for Asur, Tarhulara the Hittite of the land Gurgum was cut down with the sword and taken away by his heir, Muatali. In order to avenge Tarhulara, King Sargon came upon his land Gurgum counted his booty, the heir Muatali, and burned his hands before the god Shamash, the lord of justice. The king also took as booty the family of Muatali, 
along with gold, silver, and the countless property of his palace. He reorganized the administration of the people of the land Gurgum to its full extent, set a eunuch of his as provincial governor over them, and considered them as people of Assyria. King Sargon is called the men of Hattie evil and deceitful, and many prove to be so under his eye. But we of Quay are Hiawa men and sons of Muxas, and unlike the men of Hattie and Aram, we break no oaths. It is a great evil to lie before a god, and evil will come to those who do it. And that is why this is the hardest part of my tale. In the thirteenth year of King Sargon, evil thoughts filled my lord Awariku's head. And despite his years of loyalty to Assyria, my lord sent men from our city, Adana, to the distant land of Urartu. Awariku hoped that Rusa's heir, Argishti, who still defied King Sargon, might come to Quay and restore my lord to his throne. It was a foolish hope even more foolish in the act itself, and his men did not get far beyond our lands. Instead, the gods saw fit to punish Awariku by delivering them into the hands of Midas, king of the land Phrygia. By this time, Sargon's man, Asur-Sharu-Usur, who governed Quay, had caused the Phrygian king great trouble. He had marched three times into the land of Midas and captured 1,000 of Midas' combat troops and their war horses, letting none escape. Asur-Sharu-Usur had then defeated Midas' garrison troops. Those who did battle, he did not allow to live. He sent to King Sargon his booty, 2,400 Phrygian soldiers, and then destroyed, demolished, and burned with fire his fortified cities, together with the settlements and their environs. At the time, King Sargon was bringing about the defeat of the Chaldeans and Aramaeans of the Lower Sea and making his weapons prevail over the people of Elam. So Asur-Sharu-Usur sent 1,000 face guards taken from Midas's warriors as trophies to King Sargon. Midas had never before submitted to any other king. But in the face of Sargon's victories and conquests, the Phrygian was overwhelmed by a deadly quiet. He was also troubled by reports of men from the Zagros land of Gamir, fierce horsemen greatly skilled in the bow, crossing the Taurus mountains in growing numbers. So when the men of Awariku fell into his hands, Midas wrote to Asur-Sharu-Usur and said that he would hold the men until King Sargon decided their fate. On Sargon's orders, my lord Awariku was quickly arrested. And thus a man who had once been father and mother to the land of Adanawa was sent to Assyria in chains. When this happened, I, Azatiwadas, who had served Awariku when he was king, was out east in the Amanus Mountains, where men cut down great cedar trees for use in Sargon's palace. Even in those days, my justice and wisdom and goodness were known, 
and Sargon's man, Asur Sharu Usur, had commanded me to break up the proud and the evils which were inside that land. I did as I was commanded, but I also obeyed the gods. The storm god and the stag god were after me to build a fortress. With the help of Tarhunzas, I built a fortress in the Amanus Mountains, and I named it Azati Wadaya. Inside the fortress, I made Tarhunzas dwell. The year after my lord Awariku's betrayal, the last Hattie king along the great river, Muwatali of Kuma, ceased to fear the words of the gods and turned his heart toward Urartu. So great had Muatali's standing been that King Sargon had entrusted to him the great city Malachia. Despite this gift, the evil Hittite withheld his tribute and did not send his mounted messenger before the king to inquire about his well-being. King Sargon was in Babylon, so he sent against Muatali provincial governors with their extensive troops along with his own royal military contingent. When there was still a distance of some leagues for Sargon's expeditionary forces to go, Muatali of Kuma abandoned his wife, his sons, and his daughters, and fled away by himself into the rugged mountains. Some say he even made his home with Argishti in Urartu. Though Muatali escaped his wrath, Sargon counted his booty, his wife, his sons, his daughters, and the people of his land. He opened Muatali's treasure house and took the treasure of his palace to the city of Kalhu. The city Malachia, Sargon's gift to Muatali, was reorganized, and the king settled there the people of the land Bityakin that he had just conquered and set a eunuch as provincial governor over them. To make his seat firm, Sargon conscripted chariots, cavalry, 20,000 bowmen, and 10,000 shield and spear bearers from Kuma, and entrusted them to him. So it was that, in the fourteenth year of King Sargon, the entire Hattie land between the Great River and Upper Sea was gone forever. And in Tabal, the lesser Hattie lords of Atuna and Hupishna soon faded to shadow and nothingness. The same year that Kuma was taken, King Sargon won his final victories in Babylon. The Chaldeans and Elamites and the Aramaeans, who had inclined their cheek to both, were defeated and barred from the land of Sumer and Akkad. Now king over all the land, Sargon took the hands of the great divine lord of Babylon, Marduk, and brought him safely along the road to the Akitu house. In his fifteenth year, King Sargon returned to Assyria. They say that he filled his palace at Dur-Sharukin with every wondrous thing, exotic woods, precious metals, and elephant ivory. His palace gates were cedar wood bound together with shining bands of copper. Before the gates, he raised a replica of a Hittite palace, which is called a Bithalani in the language of the land Amuru, and also set eight twin lion colossi, 
skillfully cast and filled with a divine radiance. Within, made by the craft of the sculptor, he set images of the people of every land that he had conquered, from east to west, by the strength of the great god Asur. On the 22nd of Tishiri of that year, he caused the gods of Dur-Sharukin to enter their temples. For the next year, the king remained in Assyria, until, on the 6th of Iyar of his 16th year, a celebration was held to mark the royal city's completion. All remember the year that followed, but I will tell what I know. In that year, Midas, king of the land Phrygia, sent word to King Sargon at Dur-Sharukin of the growing threat to the Hollis Riverland from the fierce horsemen of Gamir. The same word reached Sargon from Asur-Sharu-Usur and other provincial governors. Perhaps the loudest voice was raised by Mutakil Asur, governor of Guzana, through whose land the Gamirians passed day by day, week by week, like locusts swarming the plentiful fields of Tabal. And hearing their words, King Sargon was moved to action. He mustered the troops of the god Asur, those in Assyria and those in the west, and gathered them together in Tabal. Midas of Phrygia also came, his fierce troops mounted on war horses and wearing shining face guards. I have seen many armies in my life, but none have matched the splendor of King Sargon, king of the four quarters of the world when he raised his sword in Assur's name, commanding tens of thousands. I cannot account for all that followed. I was not there, and the annals do not tell the story. But sometimes it is easy for the army of a great nation, at war with savage tribes, to imagine itself invincible. Something was different about the Gamirians. They did not form a battle line, but moved constantly, advancing and retreating with great skill and coordination. All the while, their shafts rained down, finding gaps in iron armor and laying waste to those not so protected. Those driven or lured away from the vanguard were dispatched less like the soldiers of Asur than like wayward sheep or cattle. For those who know battle, words are not needed. For those who do not, they are not sufficient. There are battle cries and shrieks of panic and the groans of the dying. There is blood for the ground to drink. And then it was over. As swiftly as they had come, the enemy withdrew, riding back into the mountains. Even now, ten years later, I will not speak ill of King Sargon. But the gods must have found in him some fault to send the Gamirians to destroy him. For not only did they defeat his army, but they also took his life. That was the word that went from there to all four corners of the earth. That the great King Sargon of Assyria was slain in battle the only king in all their memory, to suffer such a fate. 
The son who picked up Sargon's scepter was not his firstborn, for his name means the moon god has replaced his brothers. But Sinnacherib was crown prince when Sargon died and rules from Nineveh still. Dur-Sharukin was left to wither, a fortress city become a tomb where Sargon's Etimu wanders and cannot know peace. And though he brought ruination to the land of Judah and made war upon the Tyrians and Peleset, Sennacherib never brought an army to the Hollis Riverland and never punished the Gamirians for killing his father. So the Hollis Riverland became Gamirian land. But I, Azatiwadas, was far from idle. I built strong fortresses on the frontiers wherein bad men were, and I put them under my feet. And I subdued powerful countries in the west, which the kings who were before me had not been able to subdue. I brought their inhabitants down and established them at the eastern end of my borders. In my days, I extended the Adenawan frontiers from the rising of the sun to its setting and even to those places which formerly were feared, where a man feared to even walk the road. In my days, Adenawa and the Adenawian plain have dwelt peacefully. I made peace with every king. Indeed, every king considers me his father because of my righteousness and my wisdom and the kindness of my heart. As to why I am moved to tell these tales, the fall of great men should be marked by speaking of their times, to honor and, with fortune, gather wisdom. Awariku made me great, and I still mourn his sorry fate and manner of his fall. And now we hear of the death of Midas, his Phrygian lands a mangled corpse trampled beneath the hooves of Gamirian horsemen. Like Rusa after Musasir, they say that Midas could no longer face his people. He ordered bull's blood brought to him and drank it till he died. His death at least has moved the king, who now sends troops to fight the Gamirians up at Tegarama. If King Sennacherib fears the gods, he may observe their advantages there. But those who show the gods neglect so ruin. For myself, I pray that Tarhunzas continue to bless me with health and life and give me victory over all enemies. Let my fortress Azatiwadaya become the home of the grain god and the wine god, so that the people who dwell in it may have sheep oxen, food, and wine to drink. Much let them beget for us, and much let them make great for us, and much let them be in service to Azatiwadas and the house of Muxas, with the help of Tarhunzas and the gods. Ancient World Podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, along with My History Can Beat Up Your Politics, The Explorers Podcast, and other great shows.